I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 107. We've been in a series on the Psalms that we've called Praying the Psalms. And uh, boy, every time I skip from the one we did last week to this one, uh, I think, oh, we should do all these in the middle, but that would take 150 weeks. So we're not gonna do that, but it's sure tempting. Um, This is a, a great Psalm as we look to Thanksgiving week for us. I know that all of us are basically preparing the same meal uh, this, for this next Thursday with, of course, your own family twist on it. Um, but do you, do you know how many turkeys are sold leading up to Thanksgiving? I know because I asked Google. Um, there are 46 million turkeys that will be sold, and that represents about half of the turkeys that are sold all year long in America. So um, lots of turkeys being prepared. Well, it was in the fall of 1863 that President Abraham Lincoln issued two very landmark statements. And I just want to say at the beginning, too, I forgot to say this, that we got a little bit of a late start because we had a medical issue uh, over here. The EMTs, you probably saw them came, and so we're running a little bit behind time-wise, so just keep that in mind this morning. Um, Fall of 1863, two landmark statements by President Lincoln. The first was the famous Gettysburg Address, where Lincoln commemorated the battlefield of Gettysburg. And then another statement he had just made weeks before uh, was a bit more surprising. It was on October 3rd of 1863 when President Lincoln instituted the first official Thanksgiving holiday. And here's what Lincoln wrote in part. It has seemed to me fit and proper that the gracious gifts of the Most High God should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. Uh, So that's how Lincoln set apart the last Thursday of November as a day of, uh, quote, thanksgiving and praise to our generous Father. So it was apparently, it was in the worst uh, war that our nation had ever seen that Lincoln thought in the midst of that that it was time for gratitude. And we might be tempted to think that that was inappropriate even or offensive in the midst of war. Um, But if you look at Lincoln's entire Thanksgiving proclamation, it's obvious he's not ignoring the civil war that was going on. Uh, He talks about the horrors of war and how it's transformed tens of thousands of Americans and, and he said this into widows, orphans, mourners, or sufferers in the lamentable civil strife. But at the same time, he was giving uh, Americans hope, recognizing that God was guiding the nation through the valley of the shadow of death. Lincoln wasn't confused. In fact, I believe he was seeing Thanksgiving through the biblical lens of conflict and thanks at the same time, as well as hardship and hope going on simultaneously. And that is exactly what we see in Psalm 107. Um, When you think of the story of your life, how it has actually happened, alongside the claim that God loves you no matter what, does that seem true? Or would you suggest that it might be fairer 
to say of your experience that it suggests that God loves you more on some days than on other days? Can it really be that God loves you as much on the darker days as he does on the brighter days? And this psalm, and this is on the top of your outline, focuses on the Lord's redemption of Israel from all they went through during their captivity in Babylon. The psalmist urges the readers to give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and his steadfast love. And the psalm closes by making sure we learn from the mistakes of others. There are four specific situations that are described that involve people who have lost something valuable, either because of circumstances beyond their control or because of their own foolish ways. So again, perfect psalm to take with us into this week. Verse one gives us the headline of the psalm. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And the word steadfast love or unfailing love uh, is repeated four more times throughout these verses. You can watch for it. Um, the passion uh, is the, 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 this passion of God's love, of us knowing God's love, is the, that's the psalmist's desire, is, um, is really the big theme that we see here. Uh, verses two and three expand the headline and focus on God's goodness and his love. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. So has the Lord redeemed you? Then the psalmist is saying, then don't keep it to yourself. Tell others about it. Speak out about it. God has done so much for us. And God wants us to let others know what he has done for us. Sometimes that might be uncomfortable. Sometimes that might be awkward. But that's what God wants to us to do. And so this is not so much a mandate to witness as it is a statement that when we live in God's presence, we will not be able to keep the magnificent things that God has done in our lives to ourselves. Namely, his salvation that he's given us. Um, maybe it was like you for that. It was like you when you first became a Christian that you couldn't stop telling people about it. God wants that to continue. He doesn't want it to, want it to stop ever in our lives. Uh, so what has God done for you? Who, who can you tell about it this coming week? Paul says in 2 Corinthians that God has made us ambassadors of the gospel. Uh, we are ambassadors for Christ. And uh, you've got this again on your outline, that each of the accounts or vignettes in this psalm begin with some type of suffering that leads appropriately to a prayer that is answered and that results in joy and thanksgiving. And so um, that's what God wants us to do. Most of those four stories begin with the word some. All four of them, the first four do. Uh, but it's not like each of these stories are being told by different groups, each speaking in turn. They tell one story of God's rescue in four different ways that all complement each other. So the pattern is they all have a problem, they all cry out to God for help, and then they all get rescued. So remember that each of these dramas um, is about pointing us to the unchanging love of God, the covenant love of God. And it stirs us to give thanks. Uh, each one is a great reason 
to thank God for what he's, he's done for us. And the first reason is that, number one, we were lost and wasted, but the Lord gave us direction. Uh, starting at verse four, some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty and their lives ebbed away. Then, here it is, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. So God answers the cry uh, in verse six and uh, of verse six. They needed community and where did God lead them? Verse seven, he led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Verse eight, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, the theme, for his wondrous, his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. You know, it would have been about 900 miles from ancient Babylon to Jerusalem. They couldn't get on a train and take a train. They couldn't hop on a bus and take a bus. They walked. Can you imagine all that one would encounter in 900 miles? They were lost, they were hungry, they were thirsty, they were exhausted. But this is such a, a great type, I think, of the fact that, that uh, of someone who has not found satisfaction in God. They, they wander about in their lives with no direction in their lives. It was John Piper who wrote this. He said, it is our duty as Christians to pursue, and, uh, to pursue full and eternal, eternal pleasure in God because God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Uh, if we are indifferent to God as our supreme satisfaction, we will not be able to glorify God from the heart as we should. And so the question for all of us that that begs is, are you most satisfied in God and with him? Anyone who recognizes their own lostness before God can receive Jesus who directs us because Jesus is the way to follow. He is the truth. He is the, the, the bread from heaven. He is the living water. He is the giver of rest. And so we come to him and we find full satisfaction in Jesus. So have you personally received that offer? It's, it's free to receive. It's costly. It costs God, his son. It's costly for us following, but it, it is worth everything to find our satisfaction completely in him. And then second, the, the, the second great reason to give thanks to God is that we were captives to our sin, but the Lord gave us deliverance. This is a great description of the Jewish people in exile, but it's also a great description of us. The Jewish people had rebelled against the Lord, they had violated their covenant with God, and God had to discipline them. Uh, they were guilty, and we're going to read in verse 11, because they rebelled against him. Let's pick it up at verse 10. Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains, because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled, and, they, and there was no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. There it is. And he saved them from their distress. So here's what God did for us. We cried out to the Lord, like in verse 13, because we were in darkness. We needed forgiveness, and God gave us forgiveness. 
A friend of mine who was uh, talking to a, a friend of his that was an atheist, uh, the atheist, in, after their long conversation said, at the end said, you know what? The one difference between you Christians and, and me is that I have no one to forgive me. And that is something that you have in God. And so that we go to him for forgiveness and he forgives us. Look at verse 14. He brought us out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away our chains. Let us give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for us. For he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. I love this. It means that people like us have found a power that we have never had before. To be able to break out of that. Maybe, maybe someone you know, maybe you yourself were in the grip of drugs or sex or alcohol or bitterness or whatever else it was. And then you finally brought your problem to the Lord and he healed you. He brought you to himself. He gave you life. And, and you were to overcome these sins, not on your own power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. That's how we have the strength to live out the Christian life. This doesn't mean that they didn't struggle or that we don't struggle. The struggle's real. But it's like we can sing with Charles Wesley, he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood avails for me. I've had people say to me, Kenny, my sin is too great for God to ever forgive. That is wrong. That is a lie. God's grace is always greater than our greatest sin. And then the third reason that we have to thank God and to praise him is that we were spiritually dead, but the Lord gave us abundant and eternal life. Again, in this next account, we meet rebellious fools uh, who uh, disobeyed God's law and they suffer as a result of disobeying God. Uh, and then it's because of their condition. Look at verse 17. Some became fools through the, their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. Uh, Dr. Henry Brandt was a professional Christian counselor and he tells about listening to a woman who came and said she was a Christian and uh, was very nervous, very upset, and talked to him about all the bad things happening in her life. And after listening to her, he said for about a half an hour, uh, he said, you're not a very peaceful person. And that didn't sit well with her. And she said, what does that have to do with my problems? And then he read Isaiah 48:22 to her that says, there is no peace for the wicked. And then she got really upset. Are you calling me wicked? And Dr. Brandt said, well, uh, there are degrees of wickedness. If you take a gun and go rob a bank or kill someone, that's, a, that's one degree of wickedness. But it's also wicked for someone to murder the reputation of another person with their tongue. And then Brandt said, it's the same kind of wickedness, but a different degree. But in each case, there's no peace. And little by little, Brandt said she began to understand that it was her sinful ways that were destroying her peace, that were, making her, that were making her life so miserable. Verse 19, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, 
and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love, the theme again, and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works and with songs of joy. That's what we've been doing this morning. We've been corporately singing together Psalm 107 in all the songs that we've sung this morning. Uh, they didn't deserve the blessings they got. We don't deserve the blessings we have, but that is the way the grace of God works. Verse 18 says they loathed all food. They became sick because they had become fools. Fools in the Bible, and this is on your outline, are not just regular sinners, but those who become destructively self-absorbed and self-deceived. In scripture, sickness is often used as a picture of sin and the consequences of sin. Uh, in Psalm 107, because, of the, because the Lord healed the people, they're exhorted to praise him with their offerings of thanksgiving. They cry out to the Lord in verse 19 because they were sick and God healed them. And look how God healed them in verse 20. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. So when the psalmist says he sent them the word, it, it doesn't mean that God gave them a Bible to read. That would have been very convenient, and I'm sure they would have loved it. But it, what it means is that God identified with them. Jesus calls, uh, the, the John calls the Lord Jesus the logos, the word of God, the content, the communication from God to us, that he became flesh and dwelt among us. And so when it says that God sent his word and healed them, he, he came to live where they live. He came to identify with us, ultimately, of course, through Jesus. It was like he put a, uh, an arm around our shoulder and he said, I understand what you're going through, that it's hard, but come and let me show you what's causing this. It's your sin. And he heals them and he frees them. And Jesus said in John 8, if you continue in my word, you shall know the truth and the truth shall what? Set you free. And freedom isn't just going off and doing whatever we want. Freedom is the ability by the power of the Holy Spirit to obey God, to follow what he wants. The word of God is that, it's like medicine that heals us. Jesus heals us. As the Bible pictures it, our condition apart from Christ is far worse than just being sick. We are actually dead, it says in Ephesians 2. We are dead in our transgressions and sins. As far as being able to respond to God, we don't have the ability to respond to God unless God himself is drawing us to himself. What this psalm does do is offer us hope for those who have made a mess of their lives because of their own foolishness. Anyone can begin a new life and break from the past when they repent from their sin and turn to God. By faith in Christ, we can break addictions. I've seen it happen. Well, I worked with a group in Paris, a ministry in Paris that helped people over their addictions. And the number one thing they said that helped, and, and so this is what we worked on all the time with the, those who came who were addicted to drugs or whatever, is to memorize God's word. They said that was the thing that would help the most those who were addicted, if they could fall back and rely on God's word and pray that for themselves. Sometimes we wonder if what we pray is the will of God. Well, if you pray scripture, you are praying the will of God 100% of the time. 
So if you don't know what to pray for yourself or others, find a passage of scripture and pray that for yourself. Pray that for each other. By faith in Christ, memories are healed and broken relationships are restored. And if we ask Christ to take control of our lives, he will answer. He loves to reach out, even to those who have rebelled against him. And then the fourth great reason to give thanks to God is that we were hopeless and perishing, but the Lord gave us salvation. And this next passage compares being away from home and living as captives in exile in Babylon to being on a boat in a terrible storm. Uh, Some of you are aware that the great hymn writer, uh, John Newton, was also uh, at one time a slave trader. And he would take his ship from England, go pick up slaves, and bring it back. And he did that over and over. And he was converted when one time he was on his ship, and his ship ran into a, a great storm. And fearing for his life, he cried out to God. And uh, God changed his heart right there. He's the one that wrote Amazing Grace. And, and it's not hard to see how you can get in trouble on the ocean. Um, It's figurative language. The psalmist uh, says that that's where, uh, there are oftentimes crises that happen on the ocean. There's an old proverb that says, if you don't know how to pray, try going to sea. The sea here is both literal, I think, and metaphorical. In the Bible, sea is often a symbol for all the powers of the universe that, that threaten us, that are too strong for us. And nothing was working, and so they call on the Lord for his help. Look at, starting at verse 23. Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered on the boat like drunkards. They were at their wit's end. And here's where they cry out to the Lord for safety. Wouldn't we all if the waves were like that? And and, and what does God give them? Verse 28, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and God brought them out of their distress. And here's God's deliverance. Verse 29, he stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm. And he guided them to their desired haven. So in the second and third pictures that we saw, in points one and two on the outline, there was trouble because they had sinned against the Lord. But but these sailors didn't cause the storm that almost made them drown. And so you've got this on your outline. Life troubles will sink us if we are on, uh, on our own, but God is our haven in storms. And the New Testament reminds us that he helps us in two ways. Either by removing the storm, like Jesus did with the disciples when he calmed the storm, or when, as we look to him, and he will enable us to walk through it. As we look to him, like in Matthew 14, where there was strong wind and strong waves, and yet he calls Peter to walk to him through that to him, to walk on the water. And this amazing deliverance should motivate us to give thanks to God and be a testimony to others. Look at verse 31. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. So here's the thing for us to remember. There is no 
hopeless situation to God. You might be in a situation and you think, this is hopeless. There's no way out of the situation for me. But God says that's wrong. There is a way out. There's no hopeless situation with him. God again and again gives responsibility then for us to give him glory, to be fully satisfied in him, and to spread his word. Verse 32, let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. And what verse 32 makes me think of is those who have never suffered at all. I don't know anybody that hasn't suffered, I don't think, but uh, of course there are different levels of suffering. But, but the people who have matured under hardship are the ones who are the most solid in their walk. They're the most satisfied in God. And so let the troubles you're going through lead you to a greater satisfaction with God. God takes us through hard times. And this is the final surprise here, the final twist, is that we don't have a fifth scene like the others. But God takes us through hard times and good times. So the hard times are described in verses 33 and 34. He turned rivers into a desert, flowing springs into thirsty ground, and fruitful land into a salt waste. Those are all negative. They're bad. Because of the wickedness of those who live there. And then, verses starting in verse 35, he takes us through good times. He turned the desert into pools of water. That's good. And the parched ground into flowing springs. There he brought the hungry to live, and they founded a city where they could settle. You know, the Swiss medical doctor, Paul Turnier, uh, wrote a book called A Place to Be. He was kind of like the founder of modern Christian counseling. As we, he was a medical doctor, but when people came to him, I, I had the privilege one time of spending an afternoon with him and just love this man. And uh, he would always ask him, what is God doing in your life? He's just a medical doctor. But he said always there was a spiritual issue going on when I would treat their bodies. And so I would ask them about the, the issue going on in their lives. And he said that we all, long for home and that we are restless until we find that home well Psalm 107 is just God providing a home for his people we, we have a home in God right now we have brothers and sisters that we're sitting next to that we will be with for all eternity think about that we're going to be together for all eternity so we have a family right here we have a church family we have the family of God but we also, you know, when, when the, the, the Jesus was telling the disciples that he was going to die, what does Jesus say to them? He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, I would, have, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And when everything is ready, I will come to get you so that you will always be where I am, in your eternal home. So that's the promise that we have in Christ. And so now we see, in, in starting in verse 37, that he brings us home and he anchors our soul in a safe harbor. They sowed fields and planted vineyards, verse 37, that yielded a fruitful harvest. Harvest. He blessed them and their numbers greatly increased. He did not let their herds diminish. Then their numbers decreased and they were very humbled by oppression, calamity, and sorrow. He, he who pours contempt on nobles, made them wander in a trackless waste. But he lifted the needy out of their affliction and increased their families like flocks. The upright see and rejoice, but all the wicked shut their mouths. 
So the thing to notice here is that it is God who does both. This is on your outline. He takes us through hard times and he takes us through good times and both are consistent with his unfailing love. And this is why the wise need to consider these things like he says in verse 43, so let's consider it. God promised that he will take each of us and make us like his son in character. That's what he's always working at in your life, in the lives of everyone who loves him. His aim is Christ-likeness way more than comfort for us because he's preparing us to live with him for all eternity in heaven. And the truth is that no matter what this life is that we've gone through in this life, that eventually we will see that it has all been abundantly worth it. The ups and downs of life are not evidence that God has strengthened or weakened his presence in your life. No matter what you are going through, God loves you, period. And this is always cause for joyful thanks to him. And God's purpose isn't to destroy, but to cleanse and to restore and to give blessing. Look at verse 41. But he lifted the needy out of their affliction and increased their families like flocks. So what do we learn from these four accounts and from this other, uh, other conclusion here, this surprise, is that God's power and God's love is, is it's wise, and you've got this on your outline, to be wise and obey the word of God. We worship him through obedience. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things, let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. So God shows us his love and his mercy. And he knows we'll enjoy it more if we live a life of obedience. And this series is about praying the Psalms, and so we cry out like the psalmist does. And each time they cry out, they're heard, and they're, they're given the things that we looked at, community and forgiveness and healing and safety and protection. So the lesson for us is that God, God's love isn't earned. It is a gift of grace to us. You, you connect to God not by the good things you do, not by the quality of your life, but through your dependent prayer to him. That's how you connect with God. He's speaking to us through his word. We talk to him. We connect with him through prayer. Everyone who cries to God is heard. Just think how he loves you. And the bottom line is this. You've got it on your outline that God sends all people, believers as well as unbelievers, sorrow as well as joy and hardship as well as material blessing. And yet in all of this, there is a purpose. And it is God's purpose. God is preparing us to live with him. So what should this mean for our lives? Number one, we should worship God and be humble. It's on your outline. We should worship God and be humble. Uh, You know, Paul is probing the mind of God in in Romans chapter 11, like only an inspired apostle could do. And yet when he's finished his explanation, he doesn't say, hey, look what I have discovered about God. Look Look what I figured out. No, what he says is this. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory. 
You know, we should try to understand God's ways, but we have finite minds and we will never be able to understand an infinite God. Never. Sometimes all we can do is simply wait to see what God will do. The second thing that we should do is look for the eternal. Look beyond what we see to what is unseen. You know who the best example of this is? Abraham. Abraham was called to go to a land that God would lead him to, but he didn't even tell him where the land was. He just said, go. And he had all kinds of difficulties. His age, he was like 100 years old when God told him to go. Uh, Famines, family issues. Any of you have family issues? Well, Abraham had family issues. He couldn't communicate with his nephew Lot. And on and on. Abraham knew that the best blessings were not enjoyed in this life, but in the life to come. And so the author of Hebrews sums up in this hall of faith of of, uh, Hebrews 11, Abraham's life by saying this in verse 10. He was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. That's Abraham. Verse 43 again. Listen if you are wise to what I'm saying. Think about the loving kindness of the Lord. And then finally for our lives, it should mean thanksgiving. We should thank God because of the way he has and the way he is acting, what he does. And it's, it's not just when things are going our way, when things are easy. Paul suffered so many hardships. You know, he, he said to the Philippians, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Paul said, you know, it's a sin to worry And if you're a good worrier, you should be a good prayer. Just turn the worries into prayers. This is what Paul said. He said, do not have any anxiety about anything, but in every circumstance by prayer and with specific requests, with thanksgiving, continue to make your requests known to God and God's peace that transcends all understanding shall mount guard over your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Um, Alexander Duff, I'm just going to end with this, was a a pastor and a missionary. And uh, he was sent to India by, the first missionary sent to India by the Presbyterian Church of Scotland. And on October 14th, 1829, he and his wife left for India on a ship called the Lady Holland. And four months later, at midnight on February 13th, that ship ran aground by attempting to navigate around the Cape of Good Hope. And the the pounding surf just destroyed the boat. And by a miracle of God, no one who was aboard the boat died. They all made it to shore safely. One of the hands on the ship mates was walking along the beach and he saw a Bible. And he opened it up and it had Duff's name in it. And so he took it, he found Duff and he took it to him. And Duff, knowing all that they had been through, gathered the people together and he opened the Bible to Psalm 107. And he read it to him, knowing what they had just all been through. And Duff had been transporting 800 books. He was planning on setting up a school, a Bible school in India, which eventually he did. Um, but it's, it's, it's bad things happen to God's people. But he always wants our response to be one of crying out to him and praising him for his goodness and telling others about it. Are you doing that? Will you do that?
What matters most is, is not the number or the severity of the perils that we've been delivered from, but whether we're actually in the hands of our great God. And we put ourselves there. We're a living sacrifice. You know, we praise God that he has no more anger left for us. I love what Dr. Peter Kreeft wrote. He wrote this, amazing love. How can it be that God should plunge a knife in his chest for me? Me, cruel and indifferent, detached and intellectual. That he, the God of life, should conquer death by embracing it. This is the foolishness of God that is far wiser than human wisdom. The weakness of God that is far stronger than human strength. Christ is God's foolishness. God wrote the book on suffering and he called it Jesus. This is why God is good. He is good because he gives us himself. Let's pray. Dear Father, some of us are broken, but thank you that Jesus was broken with us. Some of us feel like maybe our friends have abandoned us, but Jesus couldn't get his three best friends to spend a single hour with him in prayer when it would have meant so much. Some of us feel like the world has passed us by, but it passed by Jesus first. Lord, some of us are in in incredibly hard situations. And yet I know our response, Once we want to be able to say the only way we could have ever endured this is because we knew that God was sitting right next to us. Thank you for the promise of Jesus that you will never leave us or forsake us. Thank you for your presence in our lives. Father, we... We know, we feel like we have, we confess to our overconfidence. Sometimes we feel like we've got it all together. And then out of the blue comes a storm and we feel lost. Teach us how to depend on you and lean on you moment by moment. There's nothing we can do without you. And thank you for telling us the password to get into heaven. It's not my righteousness, but Christ's righteousness. Thank you for that. Thank you for the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. From Psalm 112, praise the Lord, hallelujah, blessed, fortunate, prosperous, favored by God is the one who fears the Lord with awe-inspired reverence and worships him with obedience, who delights greatly in his commandments. Amen. God bless you. Please, um, before you leave, introduce yourself to the people uh, sitting around you and maybe if you make your way up front.